Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Museum. 
these from time to time have been supplemented by later finds. But we may take it that in this record, we have the final official development of Babylonian belief due to the priests of Babylon. After that, the city had become a metropolis of the empire. So the Anunnaki pantheon is clearly a product of the empire. The primary object of the seven tablets was to record a terrific fight between Bell and the dragon, and the account of the creation is inserted by way of introduction. It is undoubtedly the most important find dealing with Babylonian religion that has yet come to light. Before we advance to any critical speculations respecting it, let us set forth the story which it has to tell. As in so many creation myths, we find chaotic darkness brooding over a waste of waters. Heaven and earth were not yet created. Nothing existed except the primeval ocean, Momu Tiawath, from whose fertile depths came every living thing. Nor were the waters distributed, as in the days of man, into sea, river, or lake. But all were confined together in one vast and bottomless abyss. Neither did God or man exist. Their names were unknown, and their destinies undetermined. The future was dark as the gloom which lay over the mighty gulf of chaos. Nothing had been designed or debated concerning it, and the great gods arose. First came Lamu and Lahaim, and many epochs later, Ansar and Kisar, component parts of whose names signify host of heaven and the host of earth. These latter names we may perhaps accept as symbolical of the spirits of heaven and earth respectively. Many days afterwards came forth their son, Anu, god of the heavens. At this point, it should be explained that the name Tiawath affords a parallel to the expression Tabom, or deep, of the Old Testament. Practically the same word is used in Assyrian in the form Tamtu to signify the deep sea. You may recall that it was upon the face of the deep that the spirit of God brooded according to the first chapter of Genesis. You should really watch my previous video. The word and idea which it contains are equally Semitic, but strangely enough, it has Akkadian origin for the conception that the watery abyss was the source of all things, originated with the worshippers of the sea god Er at the center of the dark arts, which is Eridu. They termed the deep Absu, or house of knowledge, and this word was of Akkadian descent. This would be the house of the net, the ancient Egyptian house of knowledge. It is important early on that you understand that Zu, Zi, and Zar do indeed, as I have speculated, have the same meaning which is spirit. This would be the dweller of the abyss, craving form in our reality.
As you will see, the pen is mightier than the sword. This Abzu, or Abyss, in virtue of the animistic ideas prevailing in early Akkadian times, had become personalized as a female who was then regarded as the mother of Yar. She was known by another name, as well as that of Absu, for she was also entitled Zigarun, the heaven, or the mother who has begotten heaven and earth. And indeed, she seems to have had a form or variant in which she was an earth goddess as well. But it was not of the existing earth or heaven that she represented in either of her forms, but the primeval abyss, out of which both of these were fashioned. At this point, the narrative exhibits numerous defects, and for continuation of it, we must apply to Damascus, the last of the Neoplatonists, who was born in Damascus around 480 AD, who is regarded by most Assyrianologists as having had access to valuable written or traditional material. He was the author of a work entitled Doubts and Solutions of the First Principles, in which he states that Anu was followed by Bel. We retain the Babylonian form of the names rather than Damascus's Greek titles and Iyar, the god of Eridu. From Iyar and Davkina, he writes, was born a son called Belos or Bel Merodach, whom the Babylonians regarded as the creator of the world. From Damascus, we can learn nothing further and the defective character of the tablet does not permit us to proceed with any degree of certainty until we arrive at the name Nudimod, which appears to be simply a variant of the name Iyar. From obscure passages, it may be generally gleaned that Tiawath and Apsu, who were once one, or rather, originally, representing the Babylonian and Akkadian forms of the deep, are now regarded as mates. Which means the original god concept was taken and divided. I now use the spelling Abzu. These two female figures one of which is now an unknown male entity, have a son, Momis, or Mamu, a name which at one time seems to have been given to Tiawath. So that in these changes we may be able to trace the hand of the later mythographer, who, with less skill and greater levity than is to be found in most myths, has taken upon himself the responsibility of manufacturing three deities out of one, this would be the one-three pattern that we keep seeing at Ancient Mystery. Meaning the new male unknown god is now divided by three, and the old god concept is totally separate from this. It may be that the scribe in question was well aware that his literary effort must square and placate popular belief or popular prejudice, depending on perspective. And in no era, and at no time, has priestly ingenuity been unequal to such a task, as is well evidenced by many myths which exhibit traces of late alteration. 
within dwelling for a moment on this question. It is only to the priesthood to admit that such changes did not always emanate from them, but were the works of poets and philosophers who, for atheistic or rational reasons, took it upon themselves to reform the myths of their earlier race to a dictate of a nicer taste, or in the interests of reason. The word triune is specifically in reference to the trinity. Three in one is the description, but as you can see, it is one contained in three. These three, Tiawath, Apsu, and Mumu, then appear to have formed a trinity which bore no goodwill to the greater gods. They themselves, deities of a primeval epoch, were regarded by the theological opinion of a later day as dark, dubious, and unsatisfactory. It is notorious that in many lands, the early elemental gods came into bad odor in later times. And it may be that the Akkadian descent of this trio did not conduce their popularity among the Babylonian people. Be that as it may, alien and aboriginal gods have in all times been looked upon by an invading and conquering race with distrust as the workers of magic and the sowers of evil. And although a Babylonian name had been accorded to one of them, it may not have been applied in a complimentary sense. Then what Spence means there is to demonize. Whereas the high gods regarded those of the abyss with distrust, the darker deities of chaos took up an attitude towards the divinities of light, which can only be compared to the sarcastic tone of John Milton. Satan adopts against the power which thrust him into the outer darkness. Absu was the most ironical of all. There was no peace for him, he declared, so long as the newcomers dwelt on high. Their way was not his way, neither was it that of Tiawath. Who, if Absu represented sarcasm deified, exhibited a fierce ferocity, cruel, savage, deadly and destructive, much more overpowering than the power of her mate, who is, I remind you, the original god. If I am correct, then Mr. Sarcasm is the fool card. The so-called trio discussed how they might rid themselves of those beings who desired a reign of light and happiness. And in these deliberations, Mumu, the sun, was the prime mover. Here again, the tablet fails us somewhat, but we learn sufficient further on to assure us that Mumu's project was one of open war against the gods of heaven. This would be the first fallen angel, but he was never attached to God. He would be the unknown unnamed Anunnaki. In connection with his campaign, Tiawath made the most elaborate preparations, along with her companions, 
she labored without ceasing from the waters of the great abyss over which she presided. She called forth the most fearful monsters, which remind us strongly of those against Horus, the Egyptian god of light, had to strive in his wars against Set. From Tiawath, from the deep, came gigantic serpents, armed with stings, dripping with the most deadly poison. Dragons of vast shape reared their heads above the flood, their huge jaws armed with row upon row of formidable teeth. Giant dogs of indescribable savagery. Men fashioned partly like scorpions, and of course the fishmen, the Apkalu, and countless horrible other beings were created and formed into battalions under the command of a god named King U, to whom Tiawath referred to as her only husband, and to whom she promised the rule of heaven and fate once the detested gods of light are removed by his mighty arm. The introduction of this being as the husband of Tiawath seems to point to an earlier fusion of legends or to the interpolation to some passage popular to Babylonian belief. At this juncture, Apsu disappears, as does Mamu. Can it be that at this point, a scribe or mythographer took up the tale who did not agree with his predecessor in describing Tiawath, Apsu, and Mamu originally as one, but now cast as three separate deities? This would explain the divergence, but the point is an obscure one, and hasty conclusions on slight evidence are usually doomed to failure. Lewis Spence is spot on. There are no hasty conclusions here at Ancient Mystery. Everything I say can be found, and if I tell you things and can't explain it, that means I can't, and you should look yourself. The pattern I see most often is 131313, repeatedly. One god into three, three into one, and so forth. This creates confusion, which in turn divides the people, using belief as a psychological weapon of sorts. To resume the narrative, Tiawath, whoever her coadjutors, was resolved to retain in her own hands the source of all living things, the great deep over which she presided. This would have been to please the people, but the fact is, it's still happening. This new adaptation of Tiawath would actually be the unknown male god, now delighting in its virgin aspect. From this point, the old concept of god is repeatedly demonized, the entwined serpent. One is the heavenly oceans, meaning the original god concept, and the other is the symbol of what I call the entity and the serpent race who make others in their image. Now in reference to what we are seeing here, it may have a totally different context. For example, the god-king lineage, gods made in the image of man. I will repeat that prior line for continuation. The source of all living things, that great deep over which she presided. But the gods of heaven were by no means lulled into peaceful security. 
for they were aware of the ill will which Tiawath bore them. They learned of her plot, and great was their wrath. Iyar, the god of water, was the first to hear of it, and related it to Anzar, his father, who filled the heavens with cries of anger. Ansar took himself to his other son, Anu, god of the sky. Speak to the great dragon, he urged him. Speak to her, my son, and her anger will be relieved, and her wrath vanish. Duly obedient, Anu took himself to the realm of Tiawath to reason with her. But the monster snared at him so fiercely that in dread he turned his back upon her and departed. Next came Nodimod, but with no better success. Iyar, Enki, also known as Enki, Nodimod, and Ninsiku. At length the gods decided that one of their number, called Merodach, that is Marduk, should undertake the task of combating Tiawath the Terrible. Merodach asked that it might be written that he should be victorious, and this was granted to him. He was then given rule over the entire universe, and to test whether or not the greatest power had passed to him, a garment was placed in the midst of the gods and Merodach spoke words commanding that it should disappear. Straight away, it vanished. Once more, the god spoke, and the garment reappeared before the eyes of the dwellers in heaven. The portion of the epic which describes the new acquired glories of Merodach is exceedingly eloquent. We are told, but only in story, that none among the gods can surpass him in power that the place of their gathering has become his home, that they have given him the supreme sovereignty, and they even beg that to those who put their trust in him will be gracious. They pray that he may pour out the soul of the keeper of evil, and finally they place in his hands a marvelous weapon with which to cut off the life of Tiawath. Let the winds carry her blood to sacred places, they exclaimed in their desire, that the waters of this fountain of wickedness should be scattered far and wide. Mighty was he to look upon when he set forth for the battle. His great bow he bore upon his back. He swung his massive club triumphantly. He set the lightning before him, and he framed a great net to enclose the dragon of the sea. And with a word, he created a terrible wind and tempests, whirlwinds, storms, and of course, they were seven in all for the confounding of Tiawath. The hurricane was his weapon, and he rode in the chariot of destiny. The fact that he is using winds and hurricanes suggests that the divine storm bird is the god behind his choice of weapons. Chaos magic is black magic.
His helm blazed with terror, and awful was his aspect. The steeds which were yoked to his chariot rushed rapidly towards the abyss. Merodach feared forth that day. Marduk came to Tiawath's retreat, but at the sight of the monster, he halted, and with good reason. For there crouched the great dragon, her scaly body still gleaming with the waters of the abyss, flames darting from her eyes and nostrils, and such terrific sounds issuing from her widely opened mouth, as would have terrified any but the bravest of gods. Merodach reproached Tiawath for her rebellion, and ended by challenging her to combat. I remind you that this is the new concept of Tiawath, and not the original. The new Tiawath appears to have been versed in magic, and hurled the most potent incantations against her adversary. She cast many a spell, but Merodach, unawed by this, threw over her his great net, and caused an evil wind which he had sent on before him to blow onto her, so that she might not close her mouth. The tempest rushed between her jaws and held them open. It entered her body and racked her frame. This would be the entity, wouldn't it? Oh, the irony. Merodach held his club high and with a mighty blow shattered her great flank and slew her. Down he cast her corpse and stood upon it. Then he cut out her evil heart. Finally, he overthrew the host of monsters which had followed her, so that at length they trembled, turned and fled in a headlong route. These also he caught in his net and kept them in bondage. King U he bound and took from him the tablets of destiny, which had been granted to him by the slain Tiawath which obviously means that the god of a later generation wrenches the power of fate from an earlier hierarchy, just as one earthly dynasty may overthrow and replace another. But in the case of Tiawath, it is only in story. There is no actual power shift. It is only in the mind. The North Wind bore Tiawath's blood away to secret places, and at this sight... E.R., sitting high in the heavens, rejoiced exceedingly. Then Merodach took rest and nourishment, and as he rested, a plan arose in his mind. Rising, he flayed Tiawath with her scaly skin and cut her asunder. Then Merodach take the two parts of her vast body, and with one of them framed a covering for the heavens. Merodach then divided the upper from the lower waters, made dwellings for the gods, set lights in the heavens, and ordained their regular courses. As the tablet poetically puts it, he lit up the sky, establishing the upper firmament, and caused Anu, Bel, and Iyar to inhabit it. He then founded the constellations as stations for the great gods, and instituted the year, setting three constellations for each month, and placing his own star, Nibiru, 
as the chief light in the firmament. Merodach then caused the new moon, Nanaru, to shine forth and give him the rulership of the night, granting him a day of rest in the middle of the month. There is another mutilation in the tablet at this point, and we gather that the net of Merodach, with which he snared Tiawath, was placed in the heavens as a constellation along with his bow. The winds also appear to have been bound or tamed and placed in the several points of the compass, but the whole passage is very obscure, and doubtless information of surpassing interest has been lost through the mutilation of the tablet. The winds have not been bound or tamed. They have been reallocated via story, and they are now part of the compass. They live on, reformed and installed into the public's society. This story is given them forms and names and titles as above. probably not be far in error if we instead regard the myth of the combat between Merodach and Tiawath as an explanation of the primal strife of light and darkness among the most primitive peoples. The solar hero has at one stage of his career to encounter a grisly dragon or serpent who threatens his very existence. In many cases, this monster guards a treasure which most mythologists of a generation ago almost invariably explained as that gold which spread across the sky at the hour of sunset. The assigning of solar characteristics to all slayers of dragons and their kind was a weakness of the older school of mythology, akin to its deductions based on philosophical grounds. But such criticism as has been directed against the solar theory has been extensive and has not always been pertinent. And in many cases, it has been futile. In fact, the solar theory suffered because of the philological arguments with which it was bound up. But we should constantly bear in mind that to attempt to elucidate or explain myths by any one system or by one hand and fast hypothesis is futile. What Mr. Spence is saying there is like I am doing here at Ancient Mystery. We need to look at everything to understand the big picture. On the other hand, nearly all the systems which have attempted to elucidate or distangle the terms of myth are capable of application to certain types of myth. The dragon story is all but universal. In China, it is the monster which temporarily swallows the sun during the eclipse. In Egypt, it was the great serpent, Apep, which battled with Ra and Horus. Both are solar heroes. Don't forget that Thoth is Ra and Apep's balancing force, and Thoth is Ra personified. Triune, three in one. Now let that sink in. In India, it is the serpent, Vritra, or Ahi, who is vanquished by Indra, in Australia and some parts of North America, 
the great frog takes the place of the dragon, which is linked to the raven tails. And the trickster coyote god, the dog-head man, is equal to the raven. Let me say that again. Triune, three in one. The great frog takes the place of the dragon. In the story of Beowulf, the last exploit of the hero is the slaying of the terrible fire-breathing dragon, which guards a hidden treasure hoard. And Beowulf receives a mortal wound in the encounter. In the Volsung saga, the covetous Fafnir is turned into a dragon and is slain by Sigurd. These must not be confounded with the monsters which cause drought and pestilence. It is the sun-swallowing monster with which we have to deal here. The tablets here allude to the creation of man. The gods, it is stated, so admired the handiwork of Myrodak that they desired to see him execute further marvels. Now the gods had none to worship them or pay them homage, and Myrodak suggests to his father, Iyar, the creation of man from his divine blood. Here once more the tablet fails us, and we must turn to the narrative of the Chaldean writer Barossus, as preserved by no less than three authors of the classical age. So there again we see the 1-3 pattern. There are also three main Greek writers. Barossus states that a certain woman, Thalatha, that is, Teowath had many strange creatures at her bidding. Belus, that is, Bel Marudak, attacked and cut her in twain, forming the earth out of one half and the heavens out of the other, and destroying all of the creatures that she ruled. Then, of course, logically, Marudak decapitates himself, and as his blood flows forth, the gods mingled it with the earth and formed man from it. From this circumstance, mankind is rational and has a spark of the divine in it. We certainly do have a spark of the divine, but it is not what you think. Then did Marudak divide the darkness, separate the heavens from the earth, and order the details of the entire universe. But those animals which he had created were not able to bear light, and they died. A passage then occurs which states that the stars, the sun and the moon, and the five planets were created, and it would seem from the repetition that there were two creations, that the first was a failure which Merodak had, as it was essayed a first attempt, perfecting the process in the second creation. Of course, it may be conjectured that Barossus may have drawn his source from two conflicting accounts, or that those who quote him have inserted a second passage. The Sumerian incantation, which is provided with a Semitic translation, adds somewhat to our knowledge of his cosmogony. It states that in the beginning, nothing as yet existed. None of the great cities of Babylonia had yet been built. Indeed, there was no land, nothing but sea. It was not until the veins of Tiawath had been cut through that paradise and the abyss appear to have been separated. Also, he created the Anunnaki gods, or gods of the earth, and established a wondrous city as a place in which they might dwell. 
formed with the aid of the goddess Aruru, and finally vegetation, trees and animals. Then did Merodach raise the great temples of Erek and Nippur. From this account, we can see that instead of Merodach being alluded to as the son of the gods, he is now regarded as their creator. The entity is evolving, ranking up. In the library of Nineveh, a copy of a tablet was also discovered, written for the great temple of Nergal at Kotar. Nergal himself is supposed to make this statement. He tells us how the hosts of chaos and confusion came into being. At first, as in other accounts, nothingness reigned supreme. Then did the great gods create warriors with the bodies of birds and men with the faces of ravens. They founded them a city in the ground. In the tale of Lugal Banda and the Anzu bird, Anzu is male but also has children in its nest in Sabu Mountain. In relation to Tiawath, they were fostered in the midst of the mountains and they were under the care of the mistress of the gods. They greatly increased and became heroes of might. Seven kings they had, seven they are, who ruled over 6,000 people their father was the god Benenai, and their mother was Queen Melili. These beings, who might almost be called tame gods of evil, Nergal states that he destroyed them. Thus, all the later accounts agree concerning the original chaotic condition of the universe. They also agree that the powers of chaos and darkness were destroyed by a god of light. A god of dispersion, the god of shifting perception, literature that bends our perception. The creation tablets are written in Semitic and allude to the great circle of the gods as already fully developed and having its full completement. Even the later deities are mentioned in them. This means that it must be assigned to a comparatively late date. It possesses elements which go on to show that it is a late addition of a much earlier composition. Indeed, the fundamental elements appear in it, as has been said, to be purely Akkadian in origin. And that would throw back the date of its original form to a very primitive period, indeed. It has, as we have readily seen, a very involved cosmogony. Its characteristics show it to have been originally local, and of course, Babylonian in its second origin. But from time to time, it was added to, so that such gods at a later date were adopted into the Babylonian pantheon, might be explained and accounted for by it. But the legend of the creation rising in the city of Babylon, the folk tale known and understood by the people, was never entirely shelved by the more consequential and polished epic, which were perhaps only known and appreciated in literary and atheistic circles and for the same relation to the humbler folk story of John Milton in his Paradise Lost bears to the medieval legends of casting out Satan from heaven. Although it is quite easy to distinguish influences of extreme antiquity in the Babylonian creation myth, it is clear that in the shape which it has come down to us, 
it has been altered in such a manner as to make Merodach reap the entire credit of Teowath's defeat instead of the god Enlil, or the deity who was the predecessor as the monarch of the gods. The thing is, Enlil is a later name. Mullil would be his original name. But yet again, this role was taken by the divine stormbird, Zu. So Enlil would be a reformed Mullil. So it would actually be Zu under a new guise, the wicked Ibis wrapped in its beaky mask. The true author of the Book of Hades is Mul Mi Sarah, who is none other than Mullil in female form, meaning the true author of the Book of Hades and the figure of Tiawath is Zu, and Zu, the demon Pazuzu, a god of trickery. Jastro holds that the whole cosmological tale has been constructed from an account of a conflict with a primeval monster, a story of rebellion against E.R., which is Earth, it's been changed as well, which is Tiawath, the original concept, that these two tales have been fused, and that the first again is divisible by three versions, the one-three pattern again, originating one at Uruk, and the other two at Nippur at different epochs. <coughs> the first celebrates the conquest of Anu over Tiawath. The second exalts Ninib as the conqueror. And the third replaces him with Enlil. We thus see how it is possible for the god of a conquering or popular dynasty to have a complete myth made over to him, and how at last it became competent for the mighty Merodach of Babylon to replace an entire line of deities as the central figure of a myth, which must have been popular with untold generations of Akkadian and the Babylonian people. What can we learn from all of this? There was an ancient god concept focusing on the basic needs for human survival. This would be prior to 3 to 4,000 BC. 3,600 BC, the invention of writing in Sumer at Uruk, and this is the millennium where the god-king lineage was first attempted. Between 3 and 2,000 BC, the people revolted against this. And from 1,000 BC, the empires took control of the narrative. To complete this task, they would have to defeat the original god concept, which still lingers in the hearts and minds of the people, attaching themselves to the divine. The historical reports do not have any demons in them at all, so it would be safe to suggest that they were not allowed in public society or in writing for that matter. The evidence of these beings is archaeological, meaning they were written in stone, and the only people that could or were allowed to read and write at that time were the nobility and the priestly caste. Food for thought. The Tetragrammaton in Phoenician, 12th century BCE to 150 BCE. Paleo-Hebrew, 
from 10th century BCE to 135 CE, and square Hebrew, 3rd century BCE to present day, scripts. According to a controversial new study by archaeologist and ancient inscriptions specialist Douglas Petrovich, Israelites in Egypt took 22 ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and turned them into the Hebrew alphabet over 3,800 years ago. I would suggest this is around 3,777 B.C. Ogham Phoenician became Hebrew, which means these legends or information was taken from Mesopotamia, then reformed with purpose. Druids held dark information which was forbidden to the wicked man. There is a prequel as you can see. Hebrew is derived from Ogham. Ogham is the Druidic, runic form of writing, which included, which was entirely based, sorry, of trees and straight line hash marks arranged <clears throat> in um, intersecting right angles or at angles um, to denote which specific letter they were. So Ogham is druidic runes based on trees. According to the 11th century Liber Gabala Aaron, the 14th century Arasept Naan Isis, and other medieval Irish folklorists, Ogham was first invented soon after the fall of the Tower of Babel. Three to 4,000 B.C., along with the Gaelic language by the legendary Scythian king Phineas Farsa. According to the Aracept, Phineas journeyed from Scythia together with Godel Mac Ithiaur, Lao Mac Nima, and a retinue of 72 scholars. 1 plus 72 equals 73. 3777. Betha Lisan Nguyen, the Ogham. The Scythians were at Babel around 4000 BC, the same time they entered Egypt. Athenius Kircher may have been translating the original Egyptian meanings. Three creation myths in Egypt were a combination of them all, which would be considered the truth according to the Egyptian peoples. 
Whatever happened in Mesopotamia also happened in Egypt at the same time. The meaning of the name Zazu is movement, e.g. Lion King Bird, Hearts and Minds. The Birdman, it is everywhere. The cedar tree, Norse sitter, pronounced seder, Old Norse seer, meaning cord, string, or net snare, net web as the internet, which is a form of pre-Christian Norse magic and shamanism, concerning with discerning the course of fate and working within its structure to bring about internal change which was done by symbolically weaving new events into being. Lamu and Lahame William F. Albright speculated the name of Bethlehem, House of Lehem, originally referred to a Canaanite fertility deity cognate with Lamu and Lahamu, rather than the Canaanite word Leham, bread, your daily bread and water, Lamu and Laham. Worshippers of Ea slash Inki a city built by Cain for his son Enoch, son of Jared. Jared and Iridu, if I'm correct, are the same word. Working for the British Museum, A.H. Sassy. No confusion, nobody knew where he spent his days. His time was with the Watcher and the Holy Ones, Iradu. Iradu, where the knowledge of demons originated. The Z corresponded with the Ka and the double copy of the Egyptians which were accompanied like a shadow of all things in heaven and earth. Ninurtu slash Ningursu, double seed, hybrid, sun to Enlil, heir to heaven and earth. Zu becomes Mulil and Mulil became Enlil. Marduk is a son of Zu. So what are the chances that Marduk is just another epithet like a shadow in the night? I remind you that all of the characters except the original God concept all originate from the unknown God who was placed as a mate of God, then became God itself. Abzu in earlier legends, Zu stole the tablets of destiny, the role of Bell, to write the Ten Commandments and control the oracles almost as if this myth is exposing this figure being written into the narrative.
Marduk Meradoc only retrieves them in story. This legend counters the former, pleasing the people, but it is still the unknown god. Apsu was an Akkadian name, and he was also known as Apasan and Rishtu, Assyrio-Babylonian mythology. He was known as Apsu, Sumerian mythology, Abzu. To the Babylonians, he was Afsan. The whole alphabet, A through V. Two pillars, Baal and the storm god, or the sky god, and Baal, the soul eater. Hebrew word for nose or nostrils, when written in the plural form, nafahim, but can also mean anger. When one becomes very angry, the nostrils start to flare, maybe symbolic for the dragon. In the beginning, nothingness reigned supreme, placing creation in the hands of a black hole, a cipher, the Omega. The higher gods are the new generation, all falling from Abzu, all of the above are poetic creation. The house of the net, the net of mammoth. It, it now has many forms, and understanding this will reduce it back to nothing. Welcome to Ancient Mystery. He swung his massive club <laughs> triumphant. He swung his massive club triumphantly. He swung his massive club triumphantly. He swung his massive club triumphantly. That line was a little difficult. Please hit that notification bell to ensure that you are notified of each upload. Share, like, comment and subscribe to 